From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, former Ipswich councillor and mayor Andrew Antonelli intends to run for a councillor spot in Division 3 in March. He faces some strong headwinds, accuses the current council of neglecting residents and reveals what was going on behind the scenes prior to construction of Council's new headquarters at 1 Nicholas Street. It's Saturday, January 27, 2024, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Andrew Antonelli was first elected as a councillor to Ipswich City Council in the year 2000 until he stepped down in May 2018. Just before that, he was elected mayor at a by-election in August 2017. Then in August 2018, all councillors were dismissed by the state government. This week, he declared a run for one of two council spots in Division 3. Thank you for speaking with Ipswich today, Andrew. Oh, thanks, uh, Alan. Great to talk to you again. After time out of the political spotlight, why have you decided to run again? Well, I must admit, um, you know, I, I do have a lot of unfinished business, admittedly, but that's not the main reason. I think if this council was going well, if it was operating well and in the best interests of the city, uh, I wouldn't have put my hand up. But sadly, I just cannot see this council taking our city forward in the direction it needs to. We'll come to that in a minute, but you and your family went to hell and back with court cases, being convicted, then the appeals. The Court of Appeal confirmed an innocence finding for you following a decision by the Ipswich District Court judge in December 2020 to overturn the findings of guilt and substitute the findings of innocence and all those 12 counts. That must have been the toughest period of your life. Oh, it certainly was. It was incredibly tough. It was extremely tough on my family, particularly my children. Even with that legal decision, it's going to make it difficult to campaign because no doubt there'll be negative headlines uh, dragged up and used against you. How are you going to fight that? I guess you can only present the facts. And the facts are that not only did they overturn the decision, they found that I operated at all times honestly. In the Court of Appeal matter, one of the judges himself um, said that my state of mind, my behaviour, my actions was um, antithetical to the actions of a person who is dishonest. So in other words, the complete opposite to a person who is dishonest. So I don't think you can get a clearer finding of that, that the whole matter was uh, a pack of whole made up uh, stories by the Triple C. There's a sense from the majority of residents, I feel, that they want to move forward without long-term councillors in the picture. What do you say to that sort of comment? Well, that's not what I'm hearing, admittedly, and I know that we work in our own circles of friends, but certainly I've had many people, people I don't know, who have come up to me to say that what happened to me was completely unjust and a witch hunt. Uh, And I would certainly agree with that, having um, lived through it myself. But certainly, again, I think what people want is leadership in this council, and there certainly isn't any evidence of that at all. 
You've been critical of the decision-making over the new cinemas, but weren't you part of that decision-making previously? No, not at all. In fact, uh, we were never going to put cinemas in there. Cinemas are something from the past. They're a bygone era. Uh, We now have streaming services that now account for probably the most viewership of new movies coming out. So they are no longer the anchor tenant that this council seems to think they are. In many respects, uh, they're going back to the future and not in a Michael J. Fox sense. Council is now locked in to building those cinemas. They're well underway. Let's talk more broadly about the uh, Ipswich CBD. Much of the council-owned property was set prior to 2020 and the administrator was appointed. Greg Chamello pushed forward with good reason. The project was past the point of no return. Do people have selected memory about how bad the prospects were for Nicholas Street? I think they do to a certain degree, and I think that this... Uh, council, particularly the mayor, likes to prey on that uh, fact that the people do have short memories. But the reality is that what you see now in Nicholas Street is what was designed by not only the team I led, but the council before it. Through a time of political turmoil, there were many delays, some caused by political inertia, others indecision. One of those was the new council building itself, and I don't think many people realise this. Originally, the plan was for Ipswich City Council to lease the headquarters. This changed to being owned by council. What was going on behind the scenes while you were mayor? Well, I wasn't 100% convinced that leasing the building was in the best interest long term for the council and ratepayers. So I requested a review of McGrath-Nichols, who are a reputable firm, uh, to look at that and see whether or not we were making the right decision. And ultimately, the outcome was that if we um, continued down the path of leasing the building, we would probably be some $30 million further in the hole. So I instituted discussions with the builder who was going to be the owner long-term and we were able to save significant money by getting out of that contract and building the building to buy and own by the people of Ipswich. On your Facebook last week, you said the lack of community spirit and impossible bureaucracy created by this council's leadership has hobbled the city to a standstill. Can you give some examples? Well, I think most people would be aware, anybody who's had any actions or interactions, I should say, with this council, they're finding it impossible to get outcomes. But more importantly, even when they approach their councillors, um, they aren't getting any outcomes as well. And and I'm not 100% sure whether that is fully the councillor's fault or the bureaucracy that has been developed, particularly by the administrator and probably further prospered by the current mayor. There's been many changes to the Local Government Act since you were last uh, in council. Do you think that may have contributed to uh, this perceived lack of communication, as you say, between councillors and residents? Yeah, perhaps. But uh, look, at the end of the day, local government is different to state government. It does need to have a strong community focus. And the council serves the community. It serves the people, it's ratepayers. They are essentially the shareholders of our city. And if you do not have a council that's working with the people, you don't have an effective council. And certainly the advice I'm getting from both staff and 
some of the current councillors, is that it is impossible to work with senior management and the mayor. There's also the rule that councillors can't give a directive to uh, council staff, which is in the uh, legislation. So how do you get around that if you want to get things done? That's always been the case, Alan. It's never been open to councillors to give directions to staff. And I can tell you that I never, ever gave any directions to staff. Even when I was mayor, I... Uh, whilst having that power, the ability to direct staff to do things, I never, ever utilised that power. I could never see the reason why you couldn't actively and effectively work with senior management and the CEO to achieve good outcomes without any need to direct in any way their actions. I think it's better known as consultation with councillors between council staff and the elected representatives, as you say, to get a a better outcome. Is that not happening still? No. What we're seeing now is we're seeing some very, very strong policy in council, which I actually see as being counterintuitive to good outcomes. Um, What has been um, started, I guess, commenced is this um, inability for councillors to talk to any staff at all in any way. And unfortunately, that's creating uh, a them and us sort of mentality and affecting morale of workers uh, dramatically. It should never be them and us. It should always be a we working together. That said, there needs to be obviously some strong uh, guidelines to ensure that, and and obviously regulation as well, to ensure that councillors don't overstep the mark. But some of these people, they're our neighbours. They live in our community. We play sport with them. They're part of our community groups. Um, They go to our churches. And, I mean, if you can't even communicate with them in a social sense, that just creates um, this terrible morale and them and us attitude. We've kind of covered this, but I just want to refer back to your uh, Facebook uh, quotes in the last week. You also said the person in the street now feels disengaged with our council more than ever before access to councillors has been reduced and the effectiveness of councillors has been limited by the bureaucracy that's created. But contrary to that, I often hear councillors say in council meetings that they have been working with their residents and they're having their community meetings and uh, and chat times, which was happening under previous regimes. So why would residents feel disconnected if they can drop into a local shopping centre during a chat time? Well, I think for most people, their need is not doesn't align with the diary of councillors with respect to when they may have a community uh, chat time, so to speak, as we used to call it. Um, those chat times are very useful for those people who um, maybe felt frustrated over uh, matters that may have had a long history, if you like. But the reality is when people have a problem, they have a problem then and now. They're not going to wait for a month, for something like that. They want to see that addressed straight away. So I certainly think that the the old councillor uh, officers, the electorate officers, were very useful in, in breaking down that barrier between the council and the community. I'm not suggesting that we go directly down that same path of reopening those councillor offices, but certainly there needs to be some sort of interface or a, a better interface than what exists exists at the moment. It just isn't there. And just people just feel 
like they can't get access to their councillors. Is that because they don't, they don't want to walk into a big administration building and, and make contact that way? Because that, that is still possible and they can also phone up and make appointments to see councillors? It is a bit of a fortress and I think a lot of people do find that uh, intimidating. But um, out there, clearly, the councillors aren't known and perhaps that is because of what has happened in, the, in recent years. However, um, clearly... Um, these councillors just aren't getting out there, rolling their sleeves up and working with the community like they did in my time. We've focused on a couple of specific subjects in our chat today. Talking more broadly across the city, councillors are councillors for the whole city, not just the division they're elected to. What will be your other priorities should you be elected? Look, that's always been the case as well. There aren't that many significant changes within the Local Government Act as to how councillors are supposed to perform. We are elected to represent divisions, but we are elected to do what's best for the city as a whole. Certainly one of my priorities to readdress what's going on in the CBD at the moment. This council has no strategy. They have thrown the vision and the strategy of the former council out, and that will cause problems for perhaps the next couple of decades if we don't address it quickly. Um, The cinema plan is, in my opinion, a backward step. And particularly now that it's turned its back on the top of town and traders in that sector of the CBD, um, we really need to address that. I do not believe this current council has any answers for that at all. Uh, The second thing that I do want to focus on is reopening up the channels of communication with the community, ensuring that we do have a far greater connectivity with the community. The other thing is there's a lot of people outside of the CBD, particularly in Division 3, who just feel like they're being neglected. And clearly this council has put so much focus into this CBD and no focus into the outer suburbs. And that's something that needs to be looked at. I also want to have a closer look at the flood affected areas from 22 to 2022, some of those people are still struggling greatly and I'm hearing word that they feel, again, forgotten. Um, that that was just two years ago and no one is interested in helping them going forward. So the, that's The flood buyback scheme, though, has been a good thing, you must admit. It has. It's been, uh, look, it's been a long time coming. But certainly, I believe that was a step in the right direction, and I applaud the state government for that. And I think the federal government had a hand in it as well. Correct. And yeah, so again, I applaud them both. Yeah. Um, that is the way forward. Um, we've had over the last, um, what is it, uh, 13 years now, we've had a number of significant floods, and some places in Ipswich have been impacted over and over again. Now, as a city that has embraced its river and built very close to the river. And that's historic. That's by no means necessarily a planning, um, a fault of planning, I should say, but it is something that historically has been done in every city in Australia. So um, we really need to help out those people that continuously get affected. You've had a strong focus there on Division 3. So outside of Division 3, what would be your priorities across the whole city? Well, I don't think there's enough advocacy from our leadership 
to get more out of our state and federal governments. We are lagging behind. Seriously, we were a council that was seen to be able to um, achieve great things, a very proactive, stable council, um, the fastest growing city in Queensland. Uh, and we were banging on the doors of our state and federal colleagues to get more, to get more. I believe that the minute our council was sacked, the state and federal governments went, these, you know, this city's now going to go quiet. We don't need to do anything about them. We really need to hammer back on those doors and ensure we get our fair dollar. And at the moment, I don't believe our state representatives and federal representatives are giving us enough. We really need to hammer home the need for our community as the fastest growing city in Queensland and one of the fastest growing areas in the in the country. Andrew Antonelli, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for speaking with Ipswich today. You're welcome. Thank you. And the disclosure, I worked at Ipswich City Council during part of the period Andrew Antonelli was a councillor and mayor. That's it for this episode. Just a reminder, you will find some handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.